Welcome back to Privy. Privy is a podcast about bathrooms, recorded from my home bathroom. I'm your host, Hunter Hoover, and I love bathrooms. Welcome back. It's spooky season, and um, so, huh, hope you don't have the hoogity-boogities. Uh, we're going to have some uh, kind of themed, spooky, kind of creepy episodes coming up, so um, we look forward to those. I want to share, uh, actually, it's kind of become somewhat of a joke uh, amongst some of my friends and I about how I start the episodes, and they're like, yeah, you know, to where now, because I have made so much comment about how certain fast food and and sit-down restaurant establishments has affected my bathrooming, anytime we attempt to go out to eat anywhere, it is met with some sort of comment about, hey, are you sure you want to do it? Because don't you know what's coming up? But here's what I'm going to say. So Applebee's, Schmapplebee's, first of all, I know, I, I think my body is just kind of like, like, gastrointestinally bipolar as to what's going to cause this because I I used to be able to go to Applebee's and I would get just the small little boat of wings. You know, we're talking eight wings, not spicy sauce because I'm a spice coward. Uh, and it would, it would just do me a foul every time. And, but now you must know Applebee's has put out all you can eat boneless wings and it's like 12 bucks. And so naturally, the college group and I, like, first time we get there and we see this, we're like, well, it's time we overdo it. And by the end of the ordeal, I I was at least 18 to 24 wings deep. And, you know, based on what I've shared on the show, you would think, well, Hunter, you did it to yourself. But here's what I'm here to say. I think I crossed the tummy threshold of Applebee's wings because I'm here to report I did this twice. I did this that comes with a boat of 10 and then they bring you a boat of four or five wings afterwards. And I did two visits of 18 to 24 wings per visit. And on both visits, I didn't, I didn't wake up at 3 a.m. feeling like I was going to soil both myself and the bed that I share with my lovely wife. Um, and so there's, there's what I like to call the Applebee's Buffalo chicken wing butter zone, which is, I believe if you consume more than 15 Applebee's boneless wings, your stomach and your tummy and probably your colon just decide, you know what? We're going to give him a pass. Uh, let's not even try to process this. Let's just let the whole thing pass and, save him all the turmoil and gas. So the key is to eat too much, it would seem. But again, happy spook-to-spoop. Okay, I have this written out. Spook-tober. Spook-tober. Because of October and the word spooky and the word poop. Today, we're going to be talking about bogs. And the term bog has become somewhat of a euphemism for the toilet or just kind of bathroom things in general. Like sometimes I sog my bog real hard, you know what I'm saying? And then there's the term bog roll, 
the good old toilet paper. Um, my wife, my wife must have gotten to this roll because it is facing over. Um, more on that later on, whatever. And honestly, like the term bog is one of the perfect terms for the things that go on in a bathroom. Like it's brown, it's squelchy, it's generally damp. Like if you have ever had a particularly swampy job, you peek back there and the thought comes to mind, that's swampy. That's like a bog, if you will. Um, I've found if I consume too much fatty meat that some of that fat and oil makes its way through and it is just, it is just ripe and swampy. But the term bog is a phenomenal name. The term was originally used in the English uh, to describe the cesspit that is dug underneath a privy or latrine. You gotta go plop one in the bog, they might say. They definitely said that back then. Later, the term began to be used for the actual facility, the privy itself. Instead of just the hole dug underneath it, you would just call the entire thing the bog. You'd have to go out and use the bog. I'm plogged the bog. You get it. But if you're a scientist or a geographer or somebody who maybe is more acutely aware of biomes, shout out to all the Minecraft nerds who are, guys, there's a sweet biome. It's got ice. It's got ice in the biomes. And I don't know if there's a bog biome. Like, I don't know. Like, Kids these days, they don't understand habitats and ecosystems. Okay, old man rant time. Um, they call it a biome because of Minecraft. And so I'm here to tell you that it's like pretty much the same thing. And I know that, again, there's probably somebody out there that's like, well, actually, there is a difference between a biome and an eco. But like, but what is it really? Like, it's the same thing. In our brain, it evokes the same idea and, and gives us the same emotional response. But there is this category of environment called a bog that consequently looks a lot like the bogs people make sometimes. A bog or bogland is a wetland that accumulates peat. Now, yeah, peat the substance, not peat the guy. If, if I had to explain that, I, I'm sorry, but like, it is not full of... Well, one moment. Peat might actually be in the bog is what we're going to find out today. Um, as a deposit, so that peat is a deposit of dead plant material, often moss, typically, typically sphagnum moss. Sphagnum moss. It is one of the four main types of wetlands. Bogs. They're great. Bogs are like wetlands that get covered with small shrubs and hearth. And it is rooted in sphagnum moss deposits. And as the plants in the bog die, they settle down in that like murky mixture onto the bottom of the surrounding marshy wetland. These bogs are wet. They're damp, moist, wet. That's for all the people out there that are just like, I hate the word moist, moist, moist. And way more often than not, 
they've been found to have a lot more than peat and water in plants. Because as noted, these bogs were an excellent source of peat. And there are records of people going out there to gather the peat moss for fuel. And if you're hearing all this, you're going, here we go. We got another episode where Hunter yaks about something that doesn't have to do with bathrooms. We already talked about it. The term bog is what it has to do. We're going to talk about the creepy thing now. As they're out there, someone went out to gather their peat. And they're digging and they're digging. And they're like, man, that looks oddly like a human face poking out of the bog. Well, that's because it was. And they uncovered a body. The year is 1640, Holstein, Germany. This is the first recorded bog body discovery of what would turn out to be many, many bog bodies. Today on the show, we discuss those bog bodies. What are they doing there? And perhaps, what can we learn from them or be afraid of from them? For centuries, people assumed that these uncovered cadavers were just the bodies of like recently deceased folks who had been murdered and their bodies dumped in the bog in recent history. Like, you know, there's some sort of conflict in the area. Dude murks the other guy and tosses him in the bog and like cleans his hands of it, you know? And the weird thing is, is that bodies continued to turn up in these bogs all over Europe. Like people are going out to gather their peat, again, the moss, and they, they come back with Pete, the guy, sometimes. And they thought that these folks had just died within a few years of being found. That is, until they started to dig up bodies uh, that had interesting jewelry and markings and things about the bodies that did not match the time period that they were in. One of the most famous instances of this was a bog body found in Denmark in 1843. This bog body was buried with a bunch of glass beads and bronze pins that, interestingly, were not native, one, to that time period that they were found. So the body was found in 1843, but they're like, man, these, these things are not from our time. Like, they are from a time past. The body, this body that was dug up in Denmark, was given, quote, a Christian burial by the community. That is, it was put in a coffin and put six feet under. But later, the queen, the queen of Denmark, back then the queen gave the order to dig the body up to research the phenomenon because somebody was like, listen, the stuff that we found with the body doesn't match like our day and age. This stuff's old. Like this body has been in there a while. And the, the reason it's weird is because when they find the bodies, the reason they think that they were like only deceased for a little bit was because the bodies are like mostly intact when they find them. Like, that's the weird part. And so, you know what they say, <laughs> when you go grave digging, you're always going to discover more than you want. I know I always hear him say that. The body um, was believed to have been, uh, it was sent to Denmark, and it was believed to have been Queen Gunhild. I hope I'm getting that right. My apologies to Mrs. Gunhild, but um, 
Others disputed this claim that it was that it was Queen Gunhild, stating the body in question was likely much older than even over 500 years old. Like when they found it, they're like, "Okay, we found it in 1800, but this thing is like probably before the year 1200." Like old, old thing. Because again, for the most part, it's weird. Other than like minor discoloration of the skin, like these bodies are mostly intact, preserved, it would seem, by the bog. It is surmised, surmised that most of the bodies found in these bogs were people who lived during the Iron Age. Now, it gets spookier because many of these bodies are found with what would have been valuable jewelry and fixtures. And, and, you know, nowadays it's not uncommon when you lay a loved one to rest. They might be buried with a piece of jewelry or, a, or some sort of heirloom thing that, that was important to them. But back then, like, this stuff was of high value. And to, to put it with someone who was dead, you wouldn't do that normally unless... This was some sort of ceremony or observance. So, it also appears, I should note, that some of these bodies appeared to have been strangled or had other methods of being killed. It is guessed that many of these bog bodies dating to this period are part of a medieval votive sacrifice. Now, votive sacrifices are sacrifices that are like dumped. They, they are not returned to. They're kind of like a sacrifice that you just kind of leave and let nature take its course on. And so, you know, they're making these votive sacrifices offered to whatever deity it is being made to in the midst of the bog. And likely these bodies are dumped out in the bog and left as sacrifice, often adorned with a number of ornaments to make this offering better. Now, bogs, it seemed in this time, had some sort of place of religious esteem. I noted that they got a lot of their fuel for fire from the peat. They would dry it. They would also um, have used that for fertilizing and, and other things. And so it's very possible that they viewed something about these bogs as, as kind of something um, of high value or uh, of high value or something that they would call on or evoke in some way. It's likely these bodies are dumped out in the bog and left as sacrifice, often adorned with ornaments. Bogs, it seemed, again, held this weird place. So maybe the English, me, using this, this bog as a euphemism for where they skeet their deed is a little rude. Or maybe it's just so fitting. Causes of death were widespread, and these bodies have been bound pretty much everywhere you find a bog or a swamp. Our own U.S. of A. U.S.A. U.S.A. has even been home to some of these bog bodies. And if you want to find a, a weird and probably illegal nonsense poking up out of a swamp, you don't have to look much farther than the state of Florida. Like, if you're going hunting to find some randy business sticking up out of a swamp... Florida is your spot. It's believed that most of these Florida bog people, you can go look it up if you don't believe me, Florida bog people, are the remains of Native Americans, Native Floridians, who had been buried when the sea level was much lower. The skeletons and some organs of these bodies are preserved 
because of the chemical makeup and stuff going on in the bog. More on that in a moment. The swamp provides something of like a natural mummification process. And to make it even spookier, because again, it's spooked, spooktober, we got to point out the frequency has increased in modern years because as rainfall and water levels decrease and the weather adjusts, the water levels and water tables are lowering and more of these bodies are being exposed. But this is privy. Where's all the potty talk? Where's the talk about the leavings? Like, we get the bog bodies are freaky and we get like, oh, like bog. But like, get to the part where you talk about the turds. Well, wait no longer because as noted, for some of these bog bodies, the organs and innards are mostly intact. And inside a couple of those innards, they have been able to go in and find partially digested skeet to the point where they have been able to tell what those blokes and blokettes were noshing on before cooking it. Nope, cooking food. Before dying. One of the most famous bog body innard studies, the study of the dookie of a bog body, we're like three layers deep on this bee right now. And, and one of the most famous is the Toland Man. Toland Man, dated to have died around 400 BCE via hanging. Um, it is believed this was in relation to one of those ritual sacrifices noted earlier in Denmark. The body was then preserved for 2,400 years. And then, after all that time, he took a peek inside the tum-tum of this guy. So, somebody is just putzing along year 2000, Y2K, probably after that. But they're just out for an afternoon stroll through the bog. You know how you do. And they see Tolland Man, not his name, but for our purposes, his name, poking up out of the bog. And they're like, huh, well, there he is. And they turned him over. They're like, you know what we should do to this one? Should cut his stomach open and figure out what he ate. Let's root around in his pre-deuce and find out what was going to be part of the deuce. The Tallinn man seems to have a final meal, an estimated 12 to 24 hours before his death. The meal consisted of, and I'll try to post pictures of this in the privy social stuff, but I'm going to call it whack porridge because the thing says porridge, but my dude, I have eaten porridge, and this is the most coarse porridge I have ever seen. Now, I've shared, I'm, I'm pretty lackadaisical about where I'll go to the bathroom. Like, I would have survived in pre-modern times bathroom-wise. Like, I'll skeet it in the street if I have to. But if I had to eat this Frankenstein Goldilocks and the however many bears got their mitts up in this porridge, no way, dude. This thing is looking real fibrous. I'm... And served right alongside everybody's favorite porridge pairing dish, fish. Yummy. That sucks. Last meal is porridge and fish. Raw deal, Tallinn man. Like, guy also had parasites in there. Not great. Very bad. But more detailed tests were run in 2019 and 2020. That's moderately recent, I would say. And Tallinn man's large intestine came up with some interesting, interesting things. 
Um, and it actually told scientists, people in those lab coats, what the plant life in Denmark was like, like 2,000 years earlier. You know what I'm saying? It's a cool thing. Some of these tests can even tell what the Tolland man cooked his porridge in. They believe it was a clay pot, and I imagine it was a safe bet for anybody cooking anything back then. Like, they didn't have Teflon. You, do you know what I'm saying? Inside the bog, there are bodies. And inside the body, there is a bog. It goes full circle with these wild bodies. This brings us to the end of bog bodies, but I want to share just a brief segment of Poo in the News. At the time of recording, this article is about two weeks old. Um, apparently, on a flight to Miami, you know, when you're flying, sometimes, you know, the bathroom sitch is not that great. And here's the deal. Sometimes flying messes with people's tum-tums. But on a flight to Miami in the middle of September, vice president at Founders Fund, I don't know what that is because I don't care, but Mike Solana had his bulldog accompanying him along the flight. Now, um, this is not a commentary on that but like it seems to me like you got a rich dude who was demanding to have his dog with him on the flight might be an emotional thing might be a service dog i don't know but i'm gonna argue that maybe not those because it it started with this little bulldog and he's got in the seat next to him and you know the some lady on the plane did what ladies on the plane do they said hey you know oh he's so cute and he hopped up in her lap but then it would appear that the change in altitude or something was up with this bulldog because he went full diarrhea hound right in this lady's lap. Of course, when if a dog diarrhea is in your lap, you're going to like get him off your lap. But she did so, at which point this bulldog now covered in his own poop and probably still having the poop come out of his backside is running up and down the plane as it is in flight. People are freaking out. They're screaming. It's just poop everywhere. The diarrhea dog, that's it right there, diarrhea dog, was eventually corralled. Um, flight attendants used a biohazard kit to clean up. Uh, they covered the poop-stained seats with blankets, offered wine. <laughs> it's like, here is booze to make you forget. You know what I'm saying? To the most afflicted up front. Dude sitting in business class. Let me translate that for you. Rich guy with bulldog in business class gets poop over all over other rich people in business class. There it is. Three days later, Solana's... Yeah, this dude tweeted. Nobody gives a crap. And there's this discussion now about whether dogs should be allowed on planes. Now, I would say this. Don't let the dookie diarrhea dog ruin plane riding for all dogs. Like, they've, they've ridden on a plane before. Like, this guy's dog couldn't snuff it, and he snuffed it all over the place. But it's just great. You know, even in the year 2022 of our Lord, we're getting, we're getting stories about dogs shazzing themselves royal. And, and the last thing to probably affect an airline so much was COVID. So maybe it was a good change of pace for us. There's notes from many airlines about how this has happened in the past. 
and, and so as for running around, there's restrictions on emotional support animals that they need to um, attend their person. So like trained service dogs can fly, but like I would say that most of them are not going to have this problem. So it's an interesting thing. Um, imagine the terrifying, remember it's Spooktober. And so imagine the terror of being stuck on a plane while this dog just dookie runs back and forth. And that is it for this segment of Who in the News. And this brings us to the end of another episode of Privy. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, as always, we would love for you to leave us a rating or review. A five-star option is our preferred, uh, and you can do that on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a full review on Apple Podcasts. We'll try to read them here on the show. Uh, we'd love to get that. It just helps people find the show and the important work that's going on here. Follow the show on social. We're at PrivyCast. Send us an email, privycast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us episode suggestions, shout outs, those type things. It would be great. We'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of Barroom Ballet as our intro and outro music. You can find Kevin's music at Incompetech.com, and his music is licensed under Creative Commons License Attribution 4.0. Thanks, Kevin. We'd also like to thank Poddington Bear for the use of Camp as the Pooh in the News intro and outro music. You can find Poddington Bear's music at PoddingtonBear.com. Thanks, Poddington. This has been another episode of Privy. Thank you so much for joining us. And now, as always, don't forget to flush.